Welcome to the Impact Nations podcast, episode 320, The Breath of God. This week, we're picking up partway through a recent conversation that we had with Brad Jerzak. If you missed the previous episode, number 319, entitled Heaven and Paradise, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that first. As we rejoin the conversation, we're chatting about the nature of the new heaven and the new earth and what it will be like. I did a series on heaven. And before I did the series, I asked people um, to give me some of their questions and their thoughts. And it was so interesting. Um, And I got lots of response from the church. Basically, what everybody's description of heaven was an eternal church service. And um, which always made me think, can you imagine how long the announcements would be? And but, the offering. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> essentially, that is the was their view of heaven. It was church, only it goes on and on. And that's because people tend to think that uh, the high point of Revelation, Book of Revelation, is chapter 4 and 5. And, of course, it's it's not. It's, it's one of the events. Having said that, I have some ideas I don't mean specifically, you know, whether, you know, my, my dog pal is going to be in heaven. I'm not talking about that. But given, given the overarching thing, I, I had a quote here from Hart somewhere. Uh, oh, here it is. Um, the cosmos will have been truly created only when it reaches its consummation in the union of all things in Christ. And, and of course, that, that great Colossians hymn that I'm always quoting from chapter 1, 15 to 20. You want to talk just for a little bit about, we've talked paradise, but now the full resurrection of the cosmos. What do you think that's about? I don't know. I guess one thing I'd say is it appears, it appears to me that it is this cosmos renewed and transfigured. So think about the Mount of Transfiguration mm-hmm. and that it's the parousia. And here we have an example of Christ communion, communing with two saints who are with him, Elijah and Moses, in, glorif- in a glorified state, appear mm-hmm. on the mountain with him. So that tells you one thing, yeah. um, that, they, that, they are, that they are alive, that they are present, and their ministry continues. Hmm. And this is meant to be a foreshadowing of the parousia, the coming of Christ, when it's the first fruits of that, in a sense, when Christ will transfigure all of creation with his life-giving spirit. So I could be completely wrong, but it, that's how it seems to me, is that the, the, spirit of, the spirit of Christ would so infuse this creation with renewal that... Um, that it would be a new heavens and new earth where heaven and earth are one and um, that it's not a disembodied state, but that it's an incorruptible state. Um, what else would we say about it? I do, I do feel like we're grappling to describe it with metaphors and I can't, I can't tell all the time um, what to take literally or not. Mm-hmm. Of, those, of those, because maybe it's beyond human language, but we have to use human language. So, for example, will it be like one never-ending worship service? 
No, um, I think a, a more dominant, a more dominant vision of of this is is Isaiah's vision, and it begins now um, as a banquet for all peoples. And so we could say this: that Christianity, the kingdom of God, now is a banquet for all peoples. Okay, now we already know that we are using a metaphor because mm-hmm. we're not constantly at a banquet. Um, but that banquet, that banquet describes something of the kingdom of God as we experience it now in this life, and it's and which is then also a foreshadow of what's coming uh, in the resurrection. It, it, when the banquet now, where everyone's at the table and all are included and all are filled with the finest meats and the choicest of wine. Well, literally, <laughs> um, well. Yes and no, but in the same way as now, perhaps. So, um, so there's again discontinuity and continuity, and also we're above our pay grade here. But it's okay. It's okay to imagine these things because Isaiah did, and to see how Jesus fulfills them. Hmm. Thank you. Good. Well, well, I hope you don't lose too many donors all over all this like controversial stuff. Right? But, you know, <laughs> I really believe that what Impact Nations is doing is it's acting as a foretaste of the world to come. And that this is what the church was meant to be. It was meant to be a proto-colony of the coming kingdom. And so guys like Randipa are out there now setting the table for people to experience the goodness of God in the land of the living, which is the was Psalm 27, this great prayer of, oh, that we would see the Lord and experience this presence and enjoying the banquet now. Well, that's, that's the bottom line of what you're up to. And so that's why I'm a big cheerleader of what you're into. It's like you're, you're actually not just waiting around for heaven someday because you said the magic prayer. You're setting a you're understanding that there's a banquet been set called the kingdom of God for all nations that affects them body, soul, and spirit so that everything changes when they meet Christ. Well, that's, I do, I think I've just described you very well and the kingdom of God, by the way. So, mm. and the rest of this stuff, I hope it's okay for people that we explore questions we haven't thought of and even see different points of view charitably without having to agree with them and so on. So, that's uh, maybe that'll help us work better with Catholics, for example. It's like okay, they're not just idol worshippers, but they too. Dorothy Day was, she knew how to set a banquet for the poor. So, yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah and and when we can understand and embrace broadly, going back to your <laughs> Christ circumscribing, but when we can embrace broadly. Not only are we enriched by other streams that come in, I think it heals us uh, of this dualism. Mm. I was just looking at this quote from Cardinal Newman. Mm-hmm. Here we are. Boy, we've, we've, we've quoted a few Catholics today, haven't we? To live is to change, and to be perfect is to have changed often. Wow. And I think that's a... There, that's there's a lot in there, and uh, and I know for me, every now and then I make people that that love me and are close to me a little bit uncomfortable, 
because I'm exploring other tributaries and everything. I'm not throwing away what I have. I'm just saying Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that in his mercy, contrary to what we think, he doesn't let any one church stream have a corner on the truth. And when, when I can step over the wall, which is scary, I don't know when I started to do that years ago, but when I can step over the wall of my secure worldview, um, it starts a journey that Newman would say is a perfecting journey because it allows me to change and change and change. And I don't, you used this analogy one or two interviews ago about luggage. You add, but you don't throw away. And so my encouragement to the people that hang around in my world is don't be afraid of change and don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, there's no bad questions. And in my own heart, and of course I'm as prone to dualism and judgment as anybody, but it is gradually, 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 the Lord heals it through this process. It began by me stepping over the wall of my safe boundaries in community where the people all believed what I believed. And I don't know how long ago that happened. And... On the other hand, there is a risk because we're following Jesus outside the walls. Mm -hmm. We're going outside the camp. And you do pay a price for that. But you gain, I believe, the things that I just talked about. So, so let, me, let me ask this question, though. And sorry, I'm going longer than we normally go. And if you guys have to go, let me know. But... Uh, how do we protect ourselves against false doctrine when going down these paths and exploring and following Jesus outside the walls? Because, I, I mean, one of the things that, you know, you get warned about by your own camp, whichever camp that may be, when you start exploring other, other um, understandings of this walk with Christ is well that's false doctrine or that's a slippery slope right you know you um yeah, brad yeah. you you get that all the time of well you're a universalist and you have to go out of your way to say no i'm not i believe that <laughs> he is mm -hmm. the way the truth and the life and mm -hmm. only through him can you be saved but it's i think it is a legitimate question to say but how do you guard yourself against going too far down a path or you know losing your way yeah. Let, let me, me use let me do first and because yep. I'm gonna go simple. Okay. Because I live in a simple world. <laughs> this is why for me in my own life, intimacy with the Lord, contemplation, quiet, listening, being with the Spirit is so important because uh you mentioned croissant, like, uh, what's his name? John Dominic, uh, Crossan. Crossan. That's it. I've got, I've got one of his books. And as I read it, 
for me, the spirit said, this, this isn't going in the right direction. This, this isn't true. Now, we've got to be careful because that could just be my own bias and prejudice. But so, number one, I, I really need a growing and growing and growing relationship of intimacy and therefore sensitivity to the triune God. Number two, for me, and many of my listeners know this, I, I look at the historical church. You know, one of the great discoveries of the last seven or eight or nine years for me has been the church fathers, has been what is the tradition handed down to us? We're back to 2 Timothy 2.2. Timothy, I've told you what the truth is. Now you pass it to others who will pass it to others. So that's my simple answer for me. Those two things, this, this intimacy that I need more and more and more. And as my world has become much more complicated progressively the last 15 years with what we're doing around the world and working with all different kinds of denominations. And, you know, I've worked with Catholic bishops and I work with, work with Presbyterians and I work, you know, I even have an Orthodox friend. I'm not saying who he is. And um, I need that intimacy. It's not just, oh, this is a nice thing as a Christian to have. I need it. And secondly, it's that tradition. So my short answer became a little bit long-winded, and I only made two points. I pass it on to you, Brett. Yeah, I would make the same two points. Um, I'll use a picture for you. There are those who really worried when I started exploring Christianity outside of the evangelical wing. They thought I was going liberal, and they described it as crawling towards the edge of a branch on a tree and you're going to fall off the tree when in when in fact that's not my temperament i am by nature conservative which i by which i mean i want to conserve something i want to conserve the faith once delivered to the saints that jude talks about i want to conserve the gospel we received in 1 corinthians 15 um, and so that's the thing i want to conserve so instead of crawling onto the end of a dangerous limb, I found myself crawling down the trunk of the tree to the ancient roots. And I mm. wanted to know who gave us the New Testament, who gathered this book, who discovered the doctrine of the Trinity, who identified the deity of Jesus Christ. That was not my Baptist forefathers. That was not the Protestant reformers. That was the early church fathers. And so that's where you get this idea that my quality control comes from not just my reading of the New Testament, as if I could skip every interpretive um, rule that was ever passed down and just me and my Bible on a deserted island as my own pope. No, I needed to know, I needed to know how did these, how did the folks that founded the Christian faith, the apostolic tradition, how did they see it? So there's the ancient aspect. Bearing that in mind, I want to affirm also the other side of this, that, um, that there, we must have an intimacy with Jesus, recognizing that you can have, that, that the Holy Spirit um, 
pours out wine that can burst the old wine skins. And so, so how do we, how do we stay open to the work of the spirit in our generation um, and have the quality control? So Jesus put it this way, uh, Matthew 13. He says, um, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. So the old is the historic faith identified doctrinally. If you want doctrine, there it is. Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed. That's the doctrine. If you're in alignment with that, you're safe. But not that alone, because Jesus warned the Pharisees, you search the scriptures and you think them you'll find in them you'll find life. And I'm telling you, you've never once heard the voice of my father. If you had, you'd know that these scriptures point to me. And so so there, there's this idea of, of, of um, the spirit and the church together. And this comes out in, in scripture. How, how do we know? How do we know? Well, the Bible. No, the Bible says it's, I'm giving you the spirit to guide you into all truth. And I'm giving you the church, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So the Bible points to the spirit and the church as our as our guides and so when i go okay what's the church it's like well athanasius the great basil the great gregory the theologian these are john the apostle paul the apostle that's the church and uh and, and then the spirit that's the intimacy of knowing christ in me and recognizing his voice yeah so I'm always looking to conserve those those kind of things, and, and 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 in fact, it was my Protestant heritage was a protest against them. They yes. effectively shut down the voice of the Spirit and the tradition of the Church, and they said we only need a Bible and we can read it ourselves. Thank you very much. And don't. And I'm like, to me, that was going off the end of a limb. And, and look at the result of that. I I was in a discussion with somebody the other day. Uh, on that. So let me just briefly say, you know, uh, Sola Scriptura, that, that uh, the Scripture only, that's our, that's our great thing. And that's one of the great things the Reformers fought for, and Luther especially. But I don't know that he anticipated, I read a wonderful biography, a lengthy one, two months ago on Luther, and I don't think he anticipated that by saying, no, the Scripture is our sole authority, the result has been, I've forgotten, what are we up to now? 16,000 or 160,000 denominations because they turn their back on what you and I have talked about, the, the church, the pillar and the foundation. That They've turned their back on the historical church and the revelation and the truth that was revealed and expressed over centuries. And the result is everybody's their own pope on an island with their Bible. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you have a Catholic church and you have an Orthodox church that have stayed, not with, they're, they're not perfect. I'm not saying that, but they've stayed together. There's been a stability. There was incredible stability until 1054, but there's been a stability because, because of the, they relied 
on on the church fathers they relied on the tradition of the church and when luther said no 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 the scripture is the sole authority understanding because we go back to it's a protest movement understanding that that church the church there'd been all kinds of distortions and everything i'm not arguing that mm -hmm. but that but the final result of saying scripture is the sole authority is a lessening of the as you just said the holy spirit the direction of the spirit and of course the the foundation of centuries and so what happens we have uh, a protestant a protest movement that that continues to fragment and fragment and fragment and fragment and isn't that interesting and then i'm sure that was of course never luther's intention so the two phrases that i hear regularly uh, regarding the authority of Scripture. One is, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Um, and then the second is, God's never going to say something that contradicts his written word. Brad, can you can you comment on both? I don't know if you've heard those two phrases, but... Let's take them one at a time. So the first one... So the first is, the, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And I think that the implication there is that the Bible, I think it comes back to that almost, you can't have paradox in there because sometimes the Bible's commenting almost against itself. You know, Jesus yeah. did it himself. You know, you, you've heard it said, but I say. Oh, uh, if people would just read the Bible, it would really help. <laughs> so what the Bible says in First Corinthians... I like it. How about you? I recommend it. I recommend First Corinthians two, where it, it's it says that you are not going to understand the Bible without the Spirit. It is the Spirit who is the greatest commentator on the Bible, because Christ has given you the Spirit, and by the Spirit you've been given the mind of Christ. And He says, apart from that, apart from that, you won't get it. And in fact, Second Corinthians three, He says. Um, Without your, without your eyes fixed on, on Christ and illuminated by the Spirit, the, the book itself is a ministry of condemnation. But Christ and his Spirit, they remove the veil and becomes a ministry of reconciliation. So the, the, our Bible interpretation is entirely dependent, not on just comparing Bible verses, but having the Spirit open our spirits to see with spiritual eyes what was meant by the spiritual people who wrote the Bible. So it's all, so I would just say to that first one, immerse yourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 until, until you're convinced that apart from intimacy with the Holy Spirit, you will likely not understand this book. That's the, you know. So I said that strongly with passion because I, because I am aware of Bible scholars who don't know Jesus at all. And they're, they're modernistic, and I'm including evangelicals, where they've never heard his voice. Well, then how are you going to understand his book? You know, well, that is his voice. It's like, guess not, according to Jesus. But what was your second question, the second statement? That God's spoken word... Yeah, will never contradict his written word. In other words, uh, 
I've heard it said in context of, you know, a prophecy. You can't, there's no true prophetic word is going to be contrary to what is written in the, in the Bible. Uh, another context I've heard that is, um, you know, I'm sensing that this is what the Lord's telling me to do uh, or a direction that I'm to go. And the response is, yeah, but that's in contradiction with with the word, which I think in essence is right. Um, I mean, if if all scripture is God-breathed, and I know it didn't come down in a, you know, a, a holy egg, egg and, and hatch <laughs> as one complete Mork Bible. for mork, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but... Um, but it is God breathed, and it is it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, and so anything that God allowed to get into that word, I, it doesn't make any sense that He would suddenly now say otherwise. A variation on that was in my first ten years. We operated on and heard all the time that uh, God is subject to His word, so He can never do anything that would contradict his word wow he's subject to his word yeah wow the eternal word (laughs) has been boxed in by the human words of i mean it's god breathed yeah in me okay let i want to just start with this then and say first of all i believe the scriptures are absolutely necessary for quality control of what we hear so I I in I want to affirm the statement that far that the scriptures are essential to quality control, just as the spirit and the church are three interdependent witnesses: the mm-hmm. body of Christ, uh, the written scriptures, and the indwelling spirit's discernment. These three together are independent, are interdependent witness of the will of Christ, or uh, and point to the gospel. So that's the first thing I want to say. Second is, it's pretty hard to say what you hear from God can never contradict the scriptures if the scriptures themselves are, are um, contain debate. <laughs> like, if Christ says, you've heard it said, but I say. So if if Jesus says to me, I don't want you, uh, to hate your enemies or to kill your enemies, I'm I'm co- already contradicting the Bible there because the law says I am that when we go to a city we offer it peace and if they receive your offer of peace then enslave them all <laughs> and if they don't receive your offer of peace kill the men enslave the women and children and then you know and stuff like this and then just Christ comes along and says no. No, we're not doing that way. So what I, I can't just, almost anything I would hear from God is going to contradict some scripture, but so did Jesus. So I think the better, uh, maybe a better route with that, with that would be to say, we, we use the scriptures, the body, and the spirit to affirm the canon of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And the good news of Jesus Christ is greatly challenges parts of the scripture. But that central gospel, all of those, all of the scriptures are pointing to that. And now that's the thing what I'm hearing can't contradict. I, I, 
that I would I would think that the Spirit of God speaking to me will never bring me out of alignment with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, and and all of the scriptures point to that gospel, but the gospel includes bring you know calling those scriptures to bow to it. So the Bible is subject to the living God who came in the flesh. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that help, Tim, or is it just making? Yeah, it no, I think that's very helpful. Absolutely. I, th- I think one of the dangers is that we, because we grow up with these understandings, we don't actually realize that we have, um, <clears throat> we have a bias, or we we have an understanding that isn't actually even biblical, right? I mean, you you immediately on right. the first one, you immediately just said, well, let's just go to First Corinthians two, let's go to Second Corinthians three, let's look what what Paul had to say about this very thing. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, we, it's a bit of a blind spot for us because we've we've grown up with these uh, truths, and and then everything runs through that filter. And, and right, it's an ideology before we even read the Bible. The yeah. Bible can never contradict itself. Okay, so now I can't. Now it's not allowed to. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then when it does, I have to, I have to actually distort the scripture to make it fit my ideology of what it can't do. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that's a very low view of scripture. It's made me a master standing over this Bible on a dissection table with a scalpel, you know, instead of undergoing the the incredible complexity and polyphony of voices, many voices in in travail all pointing towards the living savior who yeah. we've come to know. So. so what how do we deal with that with that paradox with the tension with the uh the contradictions in scripture, you know, I mean, the the biggest one I think is, you know, Jesus says, "Hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the father." But then I flip back several hundred pages to, you know, the conquest and and go, "Oh my goodness, this god seems scary and really angry." Um when I mean, very often we have new believers who are coming to the scriptures for the first time, you know, and they're they're reading it through, and then they get to one point they're like, "Yeah, but doesn't hey, is this a contradiction? This doesn't make any sense." What's is the answer? Just yeah, I don't know. <laughs> is that what embracing the paradox means? Steve, jump in. <laughs> you go first. <laughs> right. He was he was bored. I got distracted. Yeah, that's all right. I I I was. Um, so we're, what we're talking about is what do you do? I heard, I heard the word paradox, right? Yeah, that's a, so he's looking up paradox. No, no, I wasn't. I, I got. I shouldn't have been distracted. That's okay. Somebody once told me a paradox is two uh, is two Mennonites uh, <laughs> uh, golfers on a um, on a Thursday afternoon is a paradox. But anyway, oh, that was a real grown. It's, it's we hate we hate paradox. Yeah, well, we it, because it brings out the insecurity in us. We're back to what I was saying a few minutes ago about the box. Yeah, and uh, if we are not willing to embrace paradox, I don't see how we can grow. Um, I don't see how we can authentically grow in Christ because He was filled with paradox. But we talked. About- Go ahead. Well, I just can you. Either one of you, tell me how do we embrace paradox? What does that look like? Is it simply throwing up our hands and saying, I I don't know the answer to this one. I don't know why these two scriptures contradict each other. Yeah, I, well, I think we need to let the Bible be what it actually is. 
and it is uh, it is a um, it is the drama of redemption. And so, it's not a it's not a flat dictionary no. of God talk. It is a drama of redemption with with wild characters, uh, unreliable narrators, and an incredible author breathing revelation all through its pages. So it would be like, so instead of reading it like um, like a dictionary where every page is going to cross-reference. That was our big thing, cross-referencing, right? Yes, <laughs> it was a hardcore cross-referencer to prove something. In, instead, what if we read it like that uh, the Lord of the Rings that includes multiple genres, many points of view, but it's all heading somewhere. And while the characters and the narrators don't always know exactly where it's going, Tolkien did. And and when Gandalf corrects Frodo, you don't go, well, then Frodo's wrong. Let's take that out of the book. <laughs> it's like, no. It's like, well, I don't like Saruman. Let's get rid of that chapter. It's like, no, it all fits into this co the cosmic narrative of redemption where everything belongs but in its place. And what is its place? Road to Emmaus. Here's how you read the Bible. Jesus says, when you read the Bible, do this. See how Moses, the prophets, and all the scriptures point to the Messiah who must suffer and then come into his glory. If that's not what you're doing with the Bible, you're not reading it like Jesus did. And so that's how the early church fathers read the Bible. Um, they don't, they're like, okay, um, Oh no, here's a story about like God's killing David's baby with Bathsheba. How do you deal with that one? It's like, well, he didn't. <laughs> the narrator says he did. But is God a death dealer of babies? We really believe the Abba Jesus revealed. That's why Jesus comes. And he reveals the father as a life giver, not a death dealer. And, and then you go back to that story and says, well, then where's Jesus in that story? I'll tell you where he was. He was in the ovaries of Bathsheba, awaiting the birth of Solomon, who would become part of the genealogy that leads to the son of David who's coming. Yes. He's there. It's prefigured there. Yeah, but did God kill babies? Of course he didn't. But the Bible, yeah, yeah. The Bible is this epic narrative pointing to Jesus. Read it that way, or you'll read it as condemnation. But let me ask this, though. Like, coming back to, to <laughs> yeah, Paul's but, letter to Timothy, uh, yeah. you know, all, all scriptures God breathed. Yeah. It feels like what What's you're breathing? saying is he breathed on some more than others. <laughs> He's breathing through the scriptures. Yes. What is the breath? It is the spirit of Jesus. It is the gospel itself. It's not saying um, each word of this reveals the mind of God. It, we know it doesn't because Jesus said it doesn't. You know? Um, example, the, well, Moses said, Bible, you can get a certificate of divorce. Jesus said, that's not a revelation of God's heart. That's a revelation of human um, defiance. Um, 
what did he say? Hardness of heart. Mm -hmm. So here we have a law of God that's a revelation of human hardness, not of God's heart. Oh, okay. So it's a little more complex than the Bible says it. So God, that's what God thinks. Um, um, but how, so what does it mean? How is it God breathed? And I think that's the thing through, through various points of view. You've got like anti-temple and pro-temple prophets in the Bible prophesying at the same time. Well, how is that the breath of God? Ah, oh, because the breath of God is blowing through it, saying, I want mercy, not sacrifice, and my, I don't need a temple, but this temple will prefigure the, the temple of Christ's body that will be destroyed and raised up again in three days. So I think, I think my problem is I've read the Bible so much that, that to have sort of this vision that the whole thing is just one big harmony that reveals one will of God. It, it, it just, that's a pretty shallow reading. I, I don't think you could read the Bible and, and see that. I, I don't even remember how many months ago I started this series on the mystery of Christ. Long time, I think. And I pretty purposely began with Christ outside of time and space and matter. I, I talked about that. Uh, I wanted them to see the eternal Christ, right? As opposed to just Jesus of Nazareth. I say just, but you know what I'm trying to say. And then from there, I purposely focused on Christ in the Old Testament. It's, it's my feeling that we Protestants... I say we Protestants, I don't know what, I'm a follower of Christ, but anyway, that Protestants uh, really downplay Christ in the Old Testament. And certainly the church fathers did the opposite. And so what I said several times through this series is Christ, crucified and risen, Christ is the interpretive key for all of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. and I kept saying it, I'd sneak it in every two or three or four talks. If people would pay attention to that and start to go back, start in Genesis 1-1, mm -hmm. and you will see Christ everywhere. And suddenly we can embrace paradox because we see Christ in the midst of it. It's all about um, him, yeah. Yeah, so, really, and, and that may seem obvious, but but most don't read that. Read yeah. it that You know, Christ is only incarnate in Jesus of Nazareth, but he appears all the time. Yes. Every appearance of God in the Old Testament was an appearance of Christ because the Father is invisible and transcendent. It's Christ that appears. Yes. Um, so there's a literal sense in which Christ appears in the, in, in the burning bush. He's the fire. Yes. Christ appears in the fight in the in the furnace with in Daniel. Christ appears as the pillar of cloud and fire in the wilderness. That's Christ. He's appearing. But the fathers even go another step deeper and they go, He appears in the suffering of his people. He appears in the victories of his people. He even appears as the victim of the injustices of his people. So they Saint Melito of Sardis would say, When you see Cain kill Abel, you're seeing the, the death of Christ by his own 
brethren being prefigured. When you see Christ being thrown, when Joseph is thrown in a pit, you're yes. seeing Christ being betrayed by his own people. When you, so every, every victory, even the really weird, bad bloodbath ones, prefigure the much greater victory of Christ where he doesn't ha no one else has to die to be, for, for things to be made right. Every, every time the people of God are in torment, it prefigures the much greater affliction of Jesus Christ bearing the sins and sorrows of the world. Um, every injustice through the whole Old Testament prefigures this, what the injustice of the Sanhedrin and of Pilate's court and all of these. When they, It's all pointing to him. To not read it that way is to not read it. I will, I'll say two things. It is to not read the Bible as gospel, and it's to not read the Bible as scripture until for Christians to read the Bible is it's not even scripture until you read it through Jesus. It becomes scripture when you, when the wind of the spirit blows through it into me with the gospel until then, it's just a, uh, a dead book. It's a letter. It's the letter. But it's, it's the spirit that makes it alive, and it, the spirit is the spirit of Jesus. So that's a strong statement, but I think that's exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3. Uh, literalism renders it into a dead book. Um, gospel identifies the spirit breathing through the book. One of the... Uh One of the grace gifts on your life is um, God uses you, because I've experienced it, to, to lead us to a place where we see Christ. Mm -hmm. Remember the first time you ever shared that? I was in a room I hardly knew. I don't think I hardly even knew who you were then. And you led us into something, and I, I'll be honest, the, the natural skeptic in me thought, oh, yeah, well. And there then, we go. boom, mm -hmm. there he was. So strong, I still remember it. That, I, had opened up something to me. So that when I read, just as you were talking, I was thinking again. When I read, when I read God going, coming to Adam and Eve, where are you? Genesis 3. I honestly, without trying to conjure, I see Jesus. Mm. I see Jesus full of pain and anguish and everything, but I see Jesus. Before that, I read it as an event, you know, Genesis 3, I know that, and da 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 and, You know, I used to teach his, his first question was, where are you? Not, what were you thinking? Which is what every father does when their kid messes up. But it's gone, it goes Beyond ideas to there's a there's such a deep reality and I enter into Christ in the scriptures in the Old Testament and it, it part of it started back then when that that grace that's on your life it was released that night and it comes again and again as I read the scriptures that's great, hey? Like if we could say, find Jesus. That's all, it's always that. In your heart, find Jesus. In your prayer, find Jesus. In your painful memories, find Jesus. 
in Deuteronomy, find Jesus. And, and let the Spirit open the eyes of your heart to behold him there. That's, yeah. that's why they're inspired. They're not just inspired truths, abstract. Um, the, I believe the scriptures are supernaturally can open our eyes to Jesus if, if we're surrendered to the Spirit and have that agenda to behold him. How do we engage people in that without uh, sounding, without be- becoming arrogant uh, or prideful or, or what have you? Like it, it can sound prideful to say, yeah, but you just, you've got to listen to Jesus better or know Jesus better because you clearly don't. Um, I, it's yeah. something for me, I, I really, I mean, I, I've, arrogance is, <laughs> and pride is one of the things that I wrestle with the most in life. And it's really easy for me to, even as I'm going down this, um, this path of discovery or whatever, trying to understand a bigger Jesus uh, and stuff, it's easy to start almost wagging the finger or whatever. How, how do we engage with one another? We're all, I mean, f- for the most part, <clears throat> We are all, as followers of Christ, we are genuinely seeking, you know. And he said, hey, seek and you'll find. How do we, all of us, as Christian brothers and sisters, seek him and maintain humility in the We don't process? talk about, there's a lot of what we don't, you know, I, my, a big part of my function is to teach, right? And I don't talk like oh guess what the lord showed me this week when i was reading and i saw him and this happened and that happened right paul i know a man who 14 years ago went to the third heaven but he doesn't even talk about it i think that we can encourage i hope that i encourage people to find christ in the scriptures but I don't say, well, this this happens to me and that happens to me, and it should be happening to you too. The way I come at it is, um, is I try to demonstrate how it's already happening for them, and mm-hmm. then I say that you're already good at this. Um, you just need somebody to come say, you're already good at this. <laughs> And, and let's blow on that flame because I know we all want to be better at it. So, what, for example, I would not say, you need to learn how to hear God. I would say, oh, you already hear God. Uh, let me show you how well you hear him already. And it can be an unbeliever. And I can say, I'm going to ask Jesus to show you, or I'm going to ask God to show you a time in your life when you've already met him and heard him. And because Jesus is alive and his spirit is with me and wants to speak to them and already is willing to um i've never had one occasion where they got no i got nothing it's like oh yeah and then they will tell me about an encounter with the spirit of god and then i will say that counts that's what i'm talking about see he already speaks to you now when we do the scriptures this way really easy even with super conservative christians i can say let let me show you how you've already seen christ in the scriptures so that it can, what your, your what your current experience can become your model, and then I take them to Psalm 23. I say, just close your eyes. I'm going to yeah. start quoting Psalm 23, and you tell me what you see. 
The Lord is my shepherd. Oh, there he is. You know, and I'm like, see how easy this is? But um, what you've just done with Psalm 23, we could do with the whole Bible. <laughs> yeah, it's and, a little easier with Psalm 23 than it is for most of Jeremiah, for instance. <laughs> Kind of, right? Um, and so that's why we do have teachers. It's not arrogant to be a teacher. It's, ar it's, it's arrogant to, to belittle people, I suppose. I, 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 would only be, I would only really exhort people who are arrogant. <laughs> like when Jesus, Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees, if you've never heard his voice, it's because they're so high and mighty about it. But with, with the people I work with, the marginalized especially, um, I can come to them and, and I, I can give them suggestions. I, I'm like, okay, when we read Jeremiah, I mean, uh, Joshua, instead of being offended, um, can we see, can we see the ways in which, um, the, the books telling us this, that God is with you. Okay. Yep. He's with them. Well, and he's with you too. Can you see places where, um, where they assumed that God with them meant he's on our side, not on theirs, and it gets them in trouble. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Well, that's true for us, too. He's with you, but don't assume he's on my side, not theirs. <laughs> um, can you see the places in, Jer in Joshua where, where um, he, he blesses the most unlikely person in the story? Oh, yeah, there's Rahab. She's in Jesus', Jesus genealogy. No, they wouldn't know she's in Jesus' genealogy. But then I can show them as a teacher, and I go, isn't this amazing? You really can see him everywhere, and you get the hang of it. Well, you know, I had, I had like three and a half degrees in this stuff before I even started learning this. So I know, I know what it is to have to humble yourself and learn how to read the Bible all over again with the fathers. So... Hmm. Um, that's kind of probably how I'd approach it and just showing them you have done this, you can do this. Let's expand what you're doing. That's so good. That's good. I hope so. I hope I'm not just offending everybody. I want to help. You remember our friend Anna Roop. Yeah. And, uh, Anna Roop used to still does exactly what you just talked about with unbelievers. He'll, He'll sit in a room with people who don't know Jesus and then invite them just as you did. And then, hey, what do you see? And, you know, it's a, a picture, it's a this, it's a that. And then he takes them to the scripture in John that says, my sheep hear my voice. Mm. And he takes them down that road and they turn their lives to Jesus because they've experienced him. Not because they were uh, convinced by apologetics. So. Yeah. Anyway, I just, I, uh, I love your approach. That was really good. I hope all those people that are watching this and will be listening really paid attention to that because that's a, that's a wonderful way to read all of the scripture. Yeah. Well, believe it or not, guys, we've been talking for just about two hours. Confessions uh, <laughs> of a frequent talker. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, part of my hope, actually, for this podcast originally was that it would feel, you know, we talk about the Impact Nations family all the time, but that it would feel like family and that people would feel like they're just 
hanging out with their friends and and discovering Jesus together. And so I th- I think that's kind of what's been happening in the last couple hours, and that's awesome. Uh, I'm probably going to split this in two episodes. Uh, typically, our our podcast audio episodes are about an hour each, so we'll probably just split this into two. Um, but. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen to the podcast after this. Uh, we typically go in seasons, and uh, season three has been the mystery of Christ, and uh, the final teaching in that series was last week, so I'm not sure. But uh, we we have more teaching in the can, so there'll be more stuff to come, absolutely. Um, I would love it if people want to write in to podcast at impactnations.com. We, we do get uh, emails to that email address sometimes. I'd love to hear from people just what, uh, what do you think of the podcast? You know, we I know we've got hundreds of listeners out there that haven't emailed me, so I would love to to just hear from people on on how it's encouraged you. Um, if you have a, a message for Brad or for Dad, you can write that to there, and I'll make sure they get that. Um, if you have thoughts or questions on on what we could be doing uh, further on the podcast, I'd love to hear that too. Um, but in the meantime, read the scriptures. And ask Jesus to breathe on them as you read them. Read them and ask every time, what's this say about Jesus? Uh, mm. I love that. that. This has been a really, really great discussion today. So thanks, guys, so much for joining us. Uh, hey, if you're not already uh, subscribed to the Impact Nations podcast, I don't know what's wrong with you. It's not that hard. Go to impactnations.com slash podcast. There's buttons across the top, no matter whether you're Android, iPhone, whatever. There's buttons for you. Uh, subscribe so you never miss an episode. Uh, we release them uh, typically every single week, so that way you'll never miss it. Um, Brad, thanks so much for being a big part of what we do here. We sure appreciate mm-hmm. you. Can I pray a blessing on your folks? Absolutely. Oh, you. Yeah. Um, so, Father in heaven, we thank you for your Son, the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ, and for the Spirit who breathed through the Scriptures. Um, today, I'm especially thankful for those Scriptures and how from Moses through the prophets to all the Scriptures, they testify concerning the mystery of Christ, the the suffering and death, his conquest of Hades, and and his glorious resurrection. And um, we thank you that Christ was not all already, was not only raised, but he is risen alive with us and in us, and that this gives us the promise of resurrection as well. And so I pray a fresh anointing on on all of our listeners today that uh, when when they open this precious book, that they would see Christ in every page, whether in victory, whether in suffering, uh, and, and and be reminded of the good gift of his passion and his resurrection. And um, I, I where, wherever hearts um, have had trouble seeing Jesus there, I pray for fresh anointing to, to see Jesus and to see the good news of Jesus. And also to hold that when we hold up the scriptures, that we that it would be a mirror on us where we need to, where we're being called to repentance and to follow and to grow in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, that Brad. should do the trick. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>